0: Welcome back. This is Kelly Gregg of KellyGreg.com. This is number five in the continuing podcast on health topics. The title of this podcast is The Angus Fast. This is actually a separate chapter in my book Diet and Health, but I feel it's important enough to warrant its own little mini e-book. I have made a similar podcast on this subject in my other podcast on diet and health. I have found the details of this fast to be very instructive to me. I have included some version of this story in most all my books, as it is very instructive. First, this is an example of a fast with no caloric ingestion. He did drink coffee and bone broth and was given some extra electrolytes for a couple of months, but otherwise ate nothing. Taking in any calories will discount some of the effects he experienced. Also, he appeared to maintain his normal activities without difficulty. In the beginning, his goal was to reach 180 pounds. After 382 days and 276 pounds of weight loss, that means he started at 456 pounds, he went back to eating again. His experience is worth reading. Angus Barbary entered a Scottish hospital in June 1965 for a three-week fast. He was 27 years old. At the time, he weighed 456 pounds. Fasting as a treatment for various diseases has been used for thousands of years, Angus wanted to lose weight, and fasting was considered to be an appropriate treatment. After three weeks, he was doing well and wanted to continue the fast. His doctor agreed, and he returned to the hospital regularly over the next year. In all, he fasted for 382 days, lost 276 pounds, and stopped when he reached his goal weight of 180 pounds. One of the significant aspects of this fast is the medical documentation, and a case study was published in 1973. You can find this on Google. Stewart, W.K., Fleming, L.W., 1973, Features of a Successful Therapeutic Past of 382 Days, Postgraduate Medical Journal, March 1973, 49, 569, page 203 to 209. He lost an average of 0.7 pounds a day. During the fast, he was given vitamin supplements and for a few months added potassium supplements, that being 13 milliequivalents daily. For most of the fast, his blood glucose was recorded at 30 milligrams per deciliter. Values below 20 milligrams per deciliter were occasionally seen toward the end of the fast. There is much to take away from this fast, but for our purposes, a few important facts. He did not continually get hungrier throughout the fast. In fact, he reported what many others have stated, that his hunger went away. His weight loss of about 0.7 pounds a day is consistent with other observations, and we be considered the upper limit of weight loss in fasting. He had no significant medical issues, and for a short fast of a few weeks, it would seem there would be no problems for most people. He was remarkably tolerant of the low glucose levels. His glucose levels were derived solely from what he was making out of protein and fat. Let us remember he started out with a lot of protein as well as fat. It took a lot more tissue to support a 465-pound man versus a 180-pound man. This protein was metabolized to not only make glucose, but also to provide all the minerals and electrolytes he needed. The pictures at the end do not show a man with skin hanging all over the place, but rather a normal-looking person. One can assume the excess skin was also metabolized, and used as well as the excess muscle, bone, and constituents of other organs. A man weighing 465 pounds needs larger organs everywhere than a 180-pound man, and his body was able to adjust the amount of bone, muscle, heart, liver, kidney, and other organs to the appropriate size for his weight. Now, this occurred with fasting. I cannot say the same thing would occur if you were eating, such as someone who has had bariatric surgery. They are not fasting, but taking in protein and carbs. There does seem to be some skin sagging in these people. They did monitor him for a little while after he started eating. His blood sugar went back to normal. Let me emphasize something. This was a fast, which is a different metabolic state than ketogenesis, which is a different metabolic state than starvation, which is a different metabolic state than a reduced calorie diet, which is a different metabolic state than a maintenance diet, which is a different metabolic state than a low-carbohydrate diet. I have found this concept to be difficult to adjust to for most people, and you cannot, across the board, compare one metabolic state with another. He was in ketogenesis, just like the ketogenic diet, but he was not taking in any calories, and his body made completely different adjustments than the ketogenic diet would. I consider fasting to be a normal mechanism. Not this much fasting, but certainly for a day or two. It is necessary to promote autophagy and normal homeostasis. A weight loss fast is a therapeutic fast, not a normal part of your diet. Similarly, the ketogenic diet is a weight loss diet, not a maintenance diet. Just like it would not be healthy to be on a fast all your life, it is not healthy to be on ketogenesis all your life. It is a therapeutic weight loss diet and needs to come and go and end eventually. The nerds among us can check out the case study. I picked up something when I read it again today. His cholesterol started at 230. It didn't change for the first 300 days. So much for the low-fat diet. In the latter part of his fast, his stools occurred every 37 to 48 days. Now for my commentary. I am still surprised at how low his blood glucose was without having any symptoms. Since the normal blood glucose is around 90, it appears at least two-thirds of the energy required by the brain can be supplied by ketone bodies. It is probably more than that given that even with a low glucose level, some of that was used by other cells of the body. I am wondering if all the energy required by the brain can be supplied by ketones. At the same time, I do not completely understand the glucose values. At the beginning of the fast, his level was noted to be about 50 milligrams per deciliter. This is half of what a normal person should be. It did drop down to about 30 milligrams per deciliter. As I have examined other long fasts, the glucose level does drop down to about half of the original fasting level, but nobody starts out at 15 milligrams. This may be some quirk as to how they reported glucose levels 50 years ago in England. It makes more sense that his level started at 100 and dropped down about a half. I still can't imagine anyone walking around with a glucose of 30 milligrams. I think we can agree the level will drop 30 to 50 percent. I think we can agree that at least two-thirds of the energy required by the brain can be provided by ketones. Angus's glucose was a whole blood glucose oxidase measurement, which gives a lower reading than modern methods, and this may explain part of the discrepancy. I have seen the online post-fast pictures, You can cool these also if you wish. There are no sagging body parts that you would expect with an extreme weight loss. This is in marked comparison with those who have lost an equivalent percentage of fat via bariatric surgery or even with starvation. As long as you have fat stores, it appears your body can easily supply enough energy such that you do not become cachectic appearing. As long as you have fat, it also appears that you can metabolize, recover, and reuse protein from other parts that are getting smaller. You are metabolizing fat for energy and some protein for glucose. There must be some left over to maintain body structure. I know his skin surface area decreased, but no sagging skin. I can only assume the skin protein was metabolized also and reused. It appears he was also recycling the electrolytes, vitamins, and other essential nutrients from this excess skin and protein. Also, unlike those who experienced starvation, he appeared to have normal muscle mass and no difficulty with normal activities. Those with bariatric surgery may lose an equivalent amount of weight, but they are not fasting and they do get skin sagging. Perhaps it is because these patients are taking in protein. In starvation, you are losing muscle mass, but starvation is a condition in which you have no fat stores. In studies on starvation or reduced calories, a common theme is a preoccupation with food, depression, and continued hunger. This does not appear the case with fasting. There have been millions of people who have fasted for health and weight loss reasons in the last 80 years. A common theme has always been that the hunger abates almost completely after a couple days and energy levels remain normal. When I said millions, I have to admit that was an educated estimate. Therapeutic fasting is a reasonable option for weight loss. Longer fasts may require some type of health care provider consultation. It is questionable if you need any extra vitamins, but taking them does not seem to affect the fasting condition. I find it unusual that healthcare providers never consider fasting an option for weight loss, but whether continue to repeat the vague and ineffective advice to eat less and exercise more. We already know that doing this results in the worst possible conditions that would enable us to stay on the diet. We simply get too hungry and feel bad. It does appear that the metabolism of excess cellular tissue, as the organ and skin structures are reduced to the appropriate size for the lower body weight, can probably provide the required vitamins and minerals that the body needs to remain healthy, despite the continued urinary loss. Vitamins are cheap, and the doctors decided to go ahead and give them some just to cover their liability. It certainly is possible that the vitamins contained in the metabolized cells could have provided all he needed, but it was difficult to measure vitamin levels 45 years ago. A brief note on the metabolic set point. As we have observed in our lives, in the beginning, most people can eat whatever they want, yet miraculously regulate their weight within one to two pounds over a year. As we get older, the weight creeps upward. I believe that means the metabolic set point creeps upward. This change in the set point probably parallels the slowly rising insulin levels from insulin resistance. It could also involve lowering growth hormone as we get older, lowering sex hormones, or some other changes in hormone levels, such as the thyroid. I do believe the modern Western diet plays a role in this, as this was not nearly a severe problem, that is, gaining weight with age, a few thousand years ago, especially if you were living for extended periods of time. I do know that if you lose weight with most diets, If you go back to the same diet, you will gain it back. Apparently, it is not that easy to change the set point. The Angus fast apparently did change his set point, as he only gained a little more weight for the rest of his life. Five years after finishing the diet, his weight was 196. Again, let me admit, I don't know that for sure, as I don't have records of the rest of his life. It may be that fasting is the best way to change the set point. It also appears that elevated carbs may be a primary factor in raising the set point, and losing weight and subsequently going on a low-carb maintenance diet may keep the set point down. There was no mention of Angus' post-fast diet. I certainly would have advised a low-carb diet. Intermittent fasting has become popular in the last few years. I again must advise you this is not a good solution to weight loss. It has been shown many times that after a short fast you may lose weight, but usually the weight will return. A short fast will not lower your metabolic set point. An extended fast appears to have a different effect. It may be that repeated short fast eventually affect your set point. We know of some of the enzymes that are induced with fasting, and there are probably others that are induced that may eventually change the set point. Few are going to fast as long as Angus. It appears that a change in the set point will only occur in an extended fast. That is not to say fasting may not be helpful. If you are on a proper maintenance diet Adding a couple days of fasting a month may slowly lower your metabolic set point. If you are on the normal Western diet, it will not. As noted above, vitamins were given during the diet. It is unknown if these were needed. Some have advised that scurvy, a lack of vitamin C, will only occur on a high carb diet. Certainly, we have evidence that the Inuit ate a diet for thousands of years. With almost no fruits or vegetables. They had a low carb, high protein, and high fat diet. It may end up that to prevent scurvy on an almost zero carbohydrate diet, you only need about 10 milligrams of vitamin C a day. Most animals make their own vitamin C, and by just eating animals, you can provide yourself with plenty. If you do that, you must eat the meat raw or barely cooked as heat destroys vitamin C. Examination of these diets also show that the maximum amount of protein that was comfortably eaten was about one-third, an observation that has been noted in other cultures, including ours, and that about 35 to 40 percent protein is the maximum tolerated. You can see these people ate about 50 to 60 percent fat. A very high-protein diet can be dangerous, and there was evidence that hunters discarded animals with little fat, even when food was scarce. A protein-only diet leads to nausea, diarrhea, wasting, and death. Since there was little vegetable or fruit in the Inuit diet, you can see that other vitamins were also provided by the meat. It is quite likely that Angus did not need the extra vitamins, as he could have scavenged them from the self-protein he was metabolizing. I can see the point of covering your ass by giving him vitamins. They were cheap and did not have any calories, so why take the risk? As I said, it appears that you increase your need for vitamin C if you eat carbohydrates. We are acquainted with scurvy from Sailors at Sea for months, We know that carbohydrates are the easiest food to store for times of scarcity, and the sailors ate mainly carbs and protein on these long trips. Not only that, but they also cooked most of the vitamin C-containing foods, which inactivated the vitamin. In modern days, most people, Inuit or not, are now on some form of the Western diet and now get the associated Western disease. If you provide it to them, people want to eat junk food. Angus was also given potassium supplements day 93 through day 162 based on a low serum level, the only low one recorded, on day 93. Again, he had no symptoms, and we still don't know if he needed it, but we had to cover our asses. The therapeutic fast is a weight loss diet. After a reasonable weight loss has been obtained, you go on a maintenance diet. If you go back to your previous diet, you will regain the weight. I do not know what diet Angulus went on after he lost weight, but I think it's very likely he changed his set point and went on to a normal diet instead of his previous high-carb diet. His parents owned a fish and chips booth where he worked, and I am guessing his previous diet was all the fish and chips he could eat. After he lost weight, he moved to a different city. I have attempted to discover how Mr. Barberi died and the circumstances surrounding his death, but have had a surprisingly difficult time getting any details. I hope someone smarter than me can figure this out and contact me at kelly.erider at gmail.com. Angus was in a ketogenic state for over a year. I don't believe this causes harm, but would like to know more about his health history after the fast. In the next chapter, a slightly different fast. I will add this because it is a more modern case review and thus has had more blood tests done. It will also demonstrate that not all extended fasts are the same. The next chapter is going to be mainly for nerds. If you do not like biochemistry, skip the chapter. I will not go into detailed explanations as I do not have enough time. I imagine this next chapter will be of interest to less than 5% of the readers of this book. I include this chapter because I am a nerd, and since I am also the editor of the book, I get to do what I want. Also, my wife heard the first part of this podcast and does not like my giving away things for free. So now I must encourage you to buy the book, regardless of your financial status.